Greetings and welcome to the latest episode of Si Yo Fuera Una Canción, If I Were a Song. We are a community-based podcast and radio show in which people of Santa Ana, California, tell us in their own words about the music that means the most to them. I'm Elizabeth Le Guin, your program host and director of this project. The project is based on my conviction that we people in the modern urban world need to learn to listen to one another, and that music and all it brings us is the perfect place to begin. My name is David Castaneda, music researcher here for the Si Yo Fuera Una Canción podcast. I'm so happy to be a part of this project, using my scholarly training and my performance experience to bring you the stories, music, and lived experiences of those living right here in Santa Ana. On the whole, our show makes it pretty clear that Santana is a city of immigrants. If an interviewee was born here, in every case to date, their parents or perhaps grandparents came here from somewhere else. Thus, daily life in Santana takes place against a backdrop of displacement and resettlement. This can be said of a lot of places in the United States, but that sense of connection to elsewhere is stronger here, and people want to talk about it more than in any other place I've known. Tiana Chambers is one of that group of our interviewees who chose to come to Southern California as adults from another part of the United States, and who found in Santana the compelling sense of belonging and the rich texture of community life that makes the label of Santanerics a badge of pride as well as of identity. Great. Well, welcome, Tiana. Um, this is my opportunity to get you to know you because I didn't know you before this interview, and... I'm really looking forward to that and to hearing about you and your, your work here in the area of Santana and uh, sharing your songs with our listeners, which is always a lot of fun. So if you would just start out by telling us your name, um, if you like to share your age, the pronouns you use. And um, maybe a little bit about how it is you came to be in this part of Southern California. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it's also very nice to meet you. Um, you know, having these type of interactions in the time of COVID, all interaction is important and uh, I'm grateful for it. So thank you for inviting me to even be here to speak. Uh, my name is Tiana uh, Chambers. I am 39 years old. And um, I actually have lived, uh, I lived in Santa Ana for 15 years, starting in 2005. Uh, I moved to Santa Ana from, I'm from Philadelphia, born and raised. Uh, I went to high school in Tulsa, Oklahoma for a while, and then uh, went to college in DC at uh, Howard University. And at a certain point, um, I was living on the East Coast when 9-11 happened and my life was just kind of like, well, what am I going to do? What's next? College and stuff like that was kind of like just the forefront of like, what's my next step? I have a aunt that lives in right on the border of uh, Tustin and Santa Ana, like on McFadden and like Lyon. And I moved... Uh, she told me, you know, you should come out to California. The uh, UC system is like really great once you get your residency and all this sounded great. So I moved to uh, Southern California. I worked for a while. Uh, I was, you know, just kind of out here young, trying to find my way. 
eventually moved to Santa Ana in 2005 with uh, a few of my best friends at the time. Um, at that time, I had begun working for a church in Tustin. And uh, that I was working for the church and uh, kind of became a missionary for the church. Uh, at some point, I was um, running an after-school program in the Delhi area of Santa Ana. Uh, that was started by a friend of mine that is also very active in uh, Santa Ana, my friend Lori. Uh, she started the program there and then moved into another position. And then I took over as the director of the uh, learning center there. And then I started to split my time between that location and our uh, sister location in Mexico, where I was basically living in Mexico for most of the week and then coming back to the States for the weekends. So that's like You're kidding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was uh Well what, what were you in were you in Tijuana or or where? Yeah, it was uh, actually a little um I would always go with a pastor or someone else that drove. So I wasn't exactly uh like sure of the exact place, but I know it's right off of uh the toll road where you, you can it splits off TJ to Tecate and we would go it's a little more south of TJ. And uh, it was called Villas del uh -huh. Sol. And uh, yeah, I was living there. I had a little apartment there. The church had an apartment there. And I was employed uh, through the North American Mission Board as a missionary to the churches there. And so uh, I would also do um, like ESL programs and uh, after school, uh, like tutoring and stuff for, these, for the students in the neighborhood. Uh, we would do movie nights. It was just like a whole bunch of stuff that we would do there. And also at the sister location in Santa Ana. It's in Delhi. So, you know, like Maine and Warner-ish in Santa Ana. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so that's like where I spent my first years in Santa Ana, living in Santa Ana, working in Santa Ana, and just uh, growing a passion for it. I felt very, uh, it's a very different culture coming from moving to Southern California and being in Tustin which is very, uh, the culture there is very small town, uh, Mayberry. You can't go to the Stater Brothers without seeing at least four of your neighbors and having a long conversation. And like, <laughs> so then to move to Santa Ana was a very different culture where I felt very much reminded me of uh, Philadelphia, where there was just a lot of different, uh, you know, food and uh, community and uh, just different events going on all the time for uh, all types of things. So I was just like, okay, this type of motion, this type of rhythm is familiar mm -hmm. to me. Whereas Tustin was kind of, you know, where I, a kind of place where I probably retire. <laughs> oh my know? goodness. And they're adjacent. I mean, they're, they're right next to each other. So that's really interesting to hear that you experience that much difference between two adjacent communities. But that's the way Southern California is, is you have lots of things that are right next to each other, but they don't necessarily participate with each other. A few quick notes here. Firstly, the Delhi Barrio was one of the few places in Santana's early history, late 19th century, early 20th, where Mexican immigrants were allowed to own real property. It remains a Mexican-American stronghold within a city that is already about 80% Latino. 
Delhi is one of the first places in Santana where that population got organized on its own behalf. The Delhi Community Center was incorporated in 1969. They erected a beautiful and spacious building offering a wide range of community services in 2001. Secondly, Stater Brothers. This is a supermarket chain local to Southern California. It was started in Yucaipa in 1936, and it now operates 170 stores across seven counties. And lastly, the Maybury that Tiana references is, I believe, the name of a TV sitcom, Maybury RFD. This ran from 1968 to 1971 as a spin-off of The Andy Griffith Show. It follows events in the lives of the white residents of Maybury, a fictitious, small, U.S. American town. Tustin, not fictitious, adjacent to Santana, and object of Tiana's comparison, does indeed have a curiously small-town feeling. However, like all of inland Orange County, it is at present a multi-ethnic community, albeit without Santa Ana's strong Latinx presence. Right. I think uh, Southern California for me, or California in itself, is very much about having each place having its own distinct identity seems very important. And uh, it's kind of what I like about California because I feel like when I go to certain places in California, I can point to a place in the United States that it, it reminds me of. It's not exactly like that, but it's like, okay, this is like that vibe. So, um, for example, when I go to Oakland, I feel like Oakland is very much a Philadelphia vibe, whereas San Francisco right next to it, at pretty close to Philadelphia, is New York City. But I would say San Francisco is more New York City vibe, whereas they're very close, but they still have that little difference of, yeah. you know, how they flow. Yeah. That's fascinating. And, you know... It, it's also, I, I'm really amused and, and fascinated because, uh, as you may know, a, a lot of the people I interview for this show have come to live in the Santa Ana area of, from Mexico. And, right. and I've had more than one or two of my interviewees tell me, you know, when I ask them the why Santa Ana question, what, what brought you here to this, this particular part of Southern California, very often they will say something kind of along the lines of what you just said, that Santa Ana reminds me of home. But of course, home in their case is Mexico. Sometimes it's Mexico City, sometimes it's a pueblo. But that, that mm -hmm. is so revealing of what the city that we're in I mean, it's kind of like a chameleon, you know. It it it's kind of all things to all people who who choose to live here. I feel right. I agree. I think that um, it really just the uh, yeah, like it it has its own very like welcoming, homey vibe where it's kind of like you know, it's it's the city you go to if you want to you know, make your new home in Southern California without feeling like you're just, you know, LA has a very a alien vibe to it, right? <laughs> like everyone's there from somewhere super far doing something super far out. And in Santa Ana, I feel like, you know, you can go to Huntington Beach, you know, people are surfing and it's the beach thing. But when you're in Santa Ana, you feel like, you know, this is the place where you get a home cooked meal and you know, you sit at the table and play cards with your siblings and like make jokes. Like that's the feeling you get 
that's the feeling I get from Santa Ana in comparison to all the other places I've been, uh, you know, in this, uh, in this small area, it just has that very distinct mm. homey vibe. Yeah. yeah. That's a really wonderful kind of shout out to the city that we share. I, I lived in, in LA for 15 years before I got my head together enough to realize down here was where I needed to be. Uh, and we, and it, it was 15 <laughs> lonely years, you know. I had a good job, but that was about it. Um, yeah, so I do agree with you, and, and I really like the way you put it. Um, tell us, if you would, uh, t- tell us about what it is you're presently doing. Um, you, you sort of brought us up to nearly the present, I think. And are you still working with uh, the missionary program in Delhi? Uh, no, actually. I separated from them about in 2008. Oh, a long time ago. Okay, I misunderstood. Oh, yeah. That was back in uh, 2008. I was working for the church. I was a missionary at that time. And I think it was around the time that just some economic things had started to really go haywire in the United States. I'm not exactly sure, but I just know that it was difficult to keep me on staff at that time. So then um, I had to branch out and I eventually started a um, just like a little IT business to keep myself afloat at that time. Um, I feel like if you were just a certain age at that time and there was a computer problem, they just assumed that you were young and you knew how to do this. (laughs) So then I would just I ended up picking up a lot of skills that way just because I had to figure them out. And uh, yeah, that launched me into uh, my own uh, IT business and then um, which eventually gave me the freedom to kind of be more in the community and um, be more a part of Santa Ana. Uh, I lived in uh, Floral Park. I had an apartment in Floral Park and it just kind of became uh, a place where everyone knew that they could go and hang out and it was going to be a good time so it kind of became uh, a little community Mm. grew there i kind of think separating from the church i had to find my own identity and how do i carry out these uh things that i want to do for uh for my community for you know the the things that i think i want to you know help change and be a part of my main way to do those were through the church and the church had many opportunities whereas now i'm like okay how do I do that, you know, without that structure? And that's where uh, just being a part of downtown Santa Ana and uh, the community down there just pulled me in. And uh, that's how I got involved with uh, the things that like we do events, uh, community events, always trying to just make sure everyone in the community is taken care of and, mm. you know, heard. Yeah. It's interesting what you say about, you know, that, the church being for you like this kind of a ready-made structure through which you could do a lot of the things you wanted you wanted to be doing and and then the difference that happens when you when you step away from a structure like that and you still want to be doing those things but all of a sudden you've got to make your own structure that's that's a huge change um right did you you may have said this already and and um, I may have missed it, but what what was the church? What is the church? Uh, it was the Main Place Christian Fellowship. At the time that I was there, they were located in Tustin, but I think they mm-hmm. may have moved to Orange or Anaheim at this point. I don't know. Exactly. I see. 
I see. So so you're really, you're not working with them at all anymore? No. Like, they wanted me to be a part of it, but also, like, unable to pay us was a thing. So it's kind of like you have to let them go. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, that was a rough time for so many people, 2008, 2009. Um, yeah, indeed. So... I think it will be a nice transition to talking about your first song if we talk first a little bit about what are these things, what were, what are these things that you have wanted to do for the community, and maybe talk a little bit more about what that community is, how it how it constitutes itself. Um, so, as a it's like I said, since I've been working for myself since two thousand and eight, and it affords me a lot of time to actually uh, be like self-sufficient, but be free. I think most of my work in the community is creating avenues of freedom for people to release themselves from the financial woes and uh, that keep us, you know, kind of bound in ways that we're not able to focus on our health and wellness Mm -hmm. and actually to thrive in the community and where we are now in the world are just working to, you know, be able to pay rent and have the bare minimum. So in building community, um, that's basically what I, my main passion is to build community because I feel as if we spend our money in ways that don't reach or serve us, but because the community isn't Mm. there, for example, we all go to target and we spend so much money on, you know, deodorant and soap and this and that, when there's someone in our community that is probably shipping all of that, has an Instagram or an Etsy, and they're shipping that to the people that are seeing it, where we as a community that are nearby could be supporting Got them. it, yeah. So I like to create events that uh, bring people together that have things like that, where we can have an expo and we can trade and we can all support each other economically and uh, in Supporting each other economically, it opens up space for us to, you know, really care for ourselves spiritually and mentally, which I think is a big symptom of, you know, the rat race that we live in. So you said that you've been working in IT. So the IT people that I know that that I have occasion to work with, I mean, they're like, there is a kind of element of this work that's, it's like a facilitator, right? It's, um... You know, helping people make connections through this amazing set of interlocking platforms that we now have that are virtual, and and they have to work right, or people can't can't contact one another. But there is this weird, weird aspect to, say, the internet, um, where, yeah, I mean, if I'm making soap, like you say. <laughs> Uh, you know, that I could just as well sell it to somebody who lives in New York City or in Holland. Uh, the internet makes that seem like kind of effortless, right? Right. And and meanwhile, there's the person down the street who really needs soap and goes to Target and gets soap that was made perhaps in China. There, I mean, there's a kind of real craziness about that. And so what I hear you saying is, is you're kind of almost like swimming upstream against this this stream of commerce that is like delocalizing so much of what we do and how we live 
Would that be accurate? Um, I, I in the swimming upstream part, yes, indeed, because I do feel as if I'm kind of working against, uh, you know, the common uh, rhythm, the common flow of everything, you know, Amazon basically, and it's kind of like, Ugh. but at the same time, I feel as if the there, for example, Instagram. Um, I feel as if there's, for example, so many of us use or follow people that we don't even know. And I've had experiences where I've seen, you know, I've been in the line at the supermarket and someone has on some cool shoes that I saw before and I wanted. And I have this moment where I want to like engage with them about it, but I feel weird. But I'm like, Mm. why don't I feel weird about following you know, these celebrities or actors or people that I will never meet that I don't know, but this person that I could actually build community with and maybe like, you know, go clothes shopping with or something, build some sort of a connection with, I feel averse to even approaching them. I should feel, you know, I should feel good to say, hey, I love your shoes. Maybe we should follow each other on Instagram. And once we get into the rhythm of, you know, knocking out that weird ego part of like, oh, I feel weird. I don't know. And just doing that and making that a point to actually connect with the people that are near you. I think we can use these things in a more beneficial way. (laughs) Mm. Mm. Well, I'm so in agreement with you. Uh, I, I think there are a lot of factors at work in contemporary society that separate us from the people who are literally next door or in line at the supermarket or or what it may be. Um, And you do have to kind of push against them to make something different happen. Um, But yeah, there, there really is, this gets said a lot, and it gets said a lot, particularly in this age of a pandemic, but there really is something about in person contact that can't be had any other way right. and is, is it's precious. It's scary sometimes. Um, it's, it's a little riskier. It's a lot riskier than, you know, uh, if somebody does something you don't like on the internet, you just ghost them, but right. you can't do that on the street. And yeah. So all power to you. That is, that is just really powerful the way you said that. Thank you. I'm really passionate about it. It's, I, I hear the passion as you talk about it, and, and it's infectious. Yeah. Um, so your first song, um, you want to tell us what it is first, and then just a little bit about why you chose this song to uh, get at the question of where you come from. Um, so the song that I chose um, is Helplessness Blues. It's by Flea Foxes, and um, I think... It really speaks to a time that I'm from, a generation that I'm a part of, and the the way that we were told about the world, and then the way we saw the world, and then the way we currently see the world now. And I think we kind of, uh, the generation that I'm from, born in the 80s, early 80s, I feel as if we were kind of in a unique space of seeing the world change in a technological way where we were able to participate in uh, 
every stage of like advancement from, uh, you know, to cell phones and to streaming and apps and just, I was telling my, uh, I was telling a friend of mine who's 26 the other day and I was like, you'll never understand like whatever was on TV is what I could watch. I used to like Bewitched or I Dream of Genie. I had to wait until it came on at nine o'clock at night. Otherwise I was just subject <laughs> to whatever programming was out there. And now I can just Google whatever I want to watch and instantly be seeing that. And um, I think that this song um, kind of echoes what our parents wanted for us and what they thought the world would be like for us. You can listen to it and look through the eyes of several different points in time. And when you said where I come from, I thought, okay, I feel like where I come from is mostly more about the generation and where I come from and uh, trying to just navigate the world at this point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're probably old enough to remember those those early Macintosh computers that looked like little toasters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, listen, um, let's, let's give the song a listen. I was raised up believing... I was somehow unique Like a snowflake Distinct among snowflakes Unique in each way you'd conceive And now after some thinking I'd say I'd rather be Listening to it after hearing your introduction to it I have to admit, the song makes a lot better sense to me now. I was a little mystified by it at first. <laughs> so, as a, yeah, as a portrait of a generation and that that sense of... Th- there's a lot of lostness in the song, right? Yeah, it, it seems like a, a lot of hindsight. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, it can mean something different to you at every decade of life. As you're going through, you're thinking back and you're thinking. And when it gets to... You know, at the, I was raised up believing that I was somehow unique. Like, that's so poignant because everyone was, you know, I can do whatever I want to do. I'm going to grow up and be this thing. And then the world and life kind of slaps you down and you're like, wait, am I? Am I unique? Am I special? Am I? Can I do this thing that I want to do? Can I be this person that I want to be in the world? And eventually, like, having to compromise that as or or not (laughs) as years go on you know yeah 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 that is a powerful reading of of the song i i wow (laughs) when he says that that part about you know i i was raised to believe i was somehow unique and then from there he goes into you know now i'd rather just be a functioning cog in some great machinery serving something beyond me. Like that went from your ego being, I'm going to be the big thing to, you know what, now I'd just rather, you know, do a little assembly line job on something that's bigger and greater than myself. So that's a Hmm. whole journey of like (laughs) through life in, in just a few lines. It seems like a journey toward humility. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Be- definitely. Because when it gets down to the part where you're, he's just saying, if I had an orchard, 
I'd work till I'm sore. If I if I, I if I just had some land, I'd work it to the bone with my own fingers. Like, okay, yeah. So maybe you can help me with that part of the song. So it's mm-hmm. there's like this change in it a, a little bit over halfway through, like two thirds of the way through the song, like the the sound of the song, the sound of the accompaniment changes and the rhythm changes, and that's where we hear this. Uh, it, he says it a number of times. If I had an orchard, mm-hmm. I'd work till I'm sore. If I had an orchard, I'd work till I'm wrong. If I had an orchard, I'd work till I'm sore. Yeah, I I understood that as being like like in the midst of the, the the confusion and the you know he says he's tongue tied and dizzy in in the first part of the song and then in the midst of all this confusion you know if there was an orchard if there was land something i could really like root myself into that's that would be my answer when uh, the slaves were free that they were supposed to be getting 40 acres and a mule it's like imagining and pining for a simple life where if I had an orchard, I'd work until I'm sore and you would wait tables and soon run the store. So yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. this is all we need. We just need this orchard and we'll work the land and we'll sell our little goods and we'll, you can waitress and we can just live this life instead of doing all of this other, you know, I'm the oldest of five. So I had a lot on my shoulders as far as like going to college and setting an example. And Mm. like as a black person, like in my family, my generation, my cousin is the first person in our family to go to college. And for black families, that's a big thing. Some uh, families uh, just graduating high school is a big thing. So then like thinking of all this stuff that I'm going to do, I need to do and accomplish. And then all of the just turmoil that can come with with that moving all the way to California and just thinking there's like a, some days where I look at my friends that are um in Oklahoma there they have really stable jobs good paying jobs um they have houses they can afford homes and it's like wh- why do I have this feeling that I could be at peace if I just went back to Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and just bought a little house and worked at the utility company and went on vacations every now and then. And that's mm. what I think of when I'm listening to this song. Like, there's so many different layers to it. The Fleet Foxes formed as a band in Seattle in 2006 and have released five albums and various EPs to date. They name Bob Dylan among their influences, and their art resembles his in the way it uses music as a kind of frame or setting for strong lyrics that reflect or exhort or tell it like it is. Tiana helps us hear in this song a longing for authenticity, expressed as small town life or through working the land. There's some irony here. We don't have to go back very far to find ancestors in almost any urban family who were only too glad to get away from the brutally hard realities of farming and move to the city in search of what they were sure 
were better and more varied opportunities in life. But just because a longing is idealized doesn't mean it's without substance. The localized, anti-capitalist economic and social models that Tiana is exploring may well be our best way forward to creating the sustainable, beautiful, dignified cities we all deserve. I have to ask you if you've had uh, any anything to do with the, the community garden initiatives that are going on here in Santana. Yes, actually, I have a friend, uh, my friend Blue. Uh, they run um, the Santa Ana Community Gardens. Um, they're working there. Um, and uh-huh. I go volunteer uh, sometimes on Fridays when I can at the um, Monroe Garden. But mm-hmm. um, I'm actually, uh, I grow cannabis and I've recently gotten into growing uh, like fruits and different vegetables from being involved in Santa Ana Gardens. Mm-hmm. I know you, you can learn so much by going to those places and just seeing how they're doing stuff. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I can, per, speaking personally, I can definitely relate. Uh, one of the things that got me to move to Santana was that by moving this far down into Orange County, I could find a house that actually had a yard. Yes. And I do, I garden, I grow fruit and vegetables and flowers. And yeah, it, you know, this is easy to say and impossible to really fully express, except maybe in a song like this. It's like, that is my, that's where my feet really touch the earth. Right. And yeah. Um, like this song is the feeling that you feel when you are in your garden and you're, you know, taking care of your plants and you're, you're making your soil right. And like this song is that feeling that that's it's home. And that's why when I wanted to use this song today, when I'm talking about Santa Ana, like that's as the same as this song gives you that feeling. That's how Santa Ana made me feel when I first came here. I felt like, OK, like this, I can settle here. I can feel at home here. You know, they say home is where the heart is. And the story of my life, Santa Ana, has more than a few chapters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that is just a really beautiful kind of little poem to this place where, where we live, which I also love. Uh, but I just love hearing you talk about it this way. Yeah, love of place. And, and you know, another thing that I think is kind of hovering in this song is the way that the lostness and the confusion of the first part of it, you know, that's all tangled up with what it means to be living in big cities, uh, you know, which most people now do live in cities. There's been this, you know, over the last 80, 90, 100 years, there's been this huge migration from the country into the cities. It's it's taking place all over the world. Um and cities are magnificent and wonderfully challenging, and I've lived in cities all my life, but they also, they're things that ca- that it's very hard to find in cities, I guess I put it that way. Right. Cities are very disconnecting for for community because I feel as cities are, you know, they're made of concrete, so they kind of disconnect us from nature. And so mm-hmm. in us, 
we as humans, we are nature, which means we and part of our nature is connection. And cities kind of are a structure of individuality that doesn't allow as much of a community to thrive. It's just more difficult. It's not it's not impossible. But when you get to uh, like part of the song that says to the men who move only in dimly lit halls and determine my future for me. And it's like you get Mm. into that's how we in cities where we have our jobs and we mostly connect over the things that divide us, like politics and stuff like that, where we're, you know, in our little apartment watching the box that's connected to the wall. Tell us what we want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, moving to the country, that is one way to address that. But but I think also addressing the the denatured parts of city life from within the city. Yeah. You know, that's there's some good work there. And it, it sounds like that's the the work that you're committed to. Right. We're in the city. We're here. This is how it is. So now we have to, you know, create the create the veins of connection in whichever ways we can. It it gets difficult because you want to do everything. You want to have so many different things going, but it's like you have to build the community so that you can build the community. First, we're reaching out to the people so that you can be a part of it. And from there, each of us can, you know, spread more branches. Yeah. Well, this is a really natural place to kind of pivot and start talking about your second song, which is the one that expresses your hopes for the future. And we're, we're kind of already going there a little bit, I think. You're already talking about this kind of set of interlocking commitments that you have made and that you are living here in a, you know, th- this very urban environment, which is Santa Ana, but like bringing values into it that don't participate in the alienation and the uh, distancing, the human distancing that is so characteristic of cities. So the second song, the uh, Killing for Love by Jose Gonzalez, um, how does that song connect to those values and connect to your hopes for the future? Uh, I think it connects to my values and my hopes for the future because the song is mostly questioning the the value in love that would cause you to do something like take a life or to hate. And I think Mm. that's the next step. We've all been raised that, you know, love is, you know, the grandest thing, but we're progressing to a point where we're starting to question that love and what it causes us to do and the things we've done or do in the name of love. And I think Mm. just that question is, is telling and it looks like, you know, you know, a seed of evolution for the future. Mm. Yeah, the whole song is one big question, right? I mean, it's a rhetorical question. Uh, you know, he says, what's the point if you hate, die and kill for love? Um, and he doesn't try to answer it um, because maybe it is one of those questions that do kind of answer themselves. Right. I mean, if it if there's even a moment of pause where you have to think about it, like, well, wait, like, this is love, you know, we're talking about 
so then we we oftentimes attach like I would I would kill for this or I would die for this and it's like <laughs> but whoa <laughs> let's pump the brakes and really examine that and just in the examination of it I think changes the way that we you know compute things in life and value and what things mean to us it like what does it mean to you if you're willing to do something that's kind of against what we say we are then why why is this belief held so important you know i got to say this this reading of the song uh it it does take me back to like church related matters and specifically just my sense of some of the core teachings of Jesus Christ is is this idea that love can't be in the service of hate love can't be in the service of doing things like killing and that sounds obvious but actually living it is is quite challenging right <laughs> and I mean, you you see that in the history of the church itself. I gotta say, uh, right. the, the amount of uh, not just killing, but let's be honest, genocide that has gone on in the name of Jesus Christ is uh, pretty appalling. And and it, you know, and then here comes this song, which is like super super understated, asking this question once again. I am not a Christian, and Si Ofuera Una Cancion is not a religiously aligned organization. That said, as a human, I do find valuable and beautiful material in the core texts of many religions, the Bible among them. And as a historian, I find it illuminating, if as here sometimes also appalling, to compare the worldly behaviors of organized religions to the values expressed in their core texts. A number of our interviewees are practicing Christians, and I've found that references to the Bible can, like music, be a way of connecting more deeply through sharing cultural material in the course of an interview. It is in this sense that I occasionally invoke biblical texts or concepts. Right. <laughs> in the name of love, so many things have been done that are antithetical to our belief in love. And so I think before we continuously move forward with our ideas of what community is and who community is and what we would do for the community, we have to take a, more, uh, an, a look outside of that. And if we want harmony in the future, it's completely fine for me to love and you know, embrace the things that I do. But it, in, in embracing those things, I have to also make sure the ripple effect of that doesn't harm anyone else. And mm. when we talk about, you know, like what we've done for love or what we would do, we have to really check ourselves and think to ourselves like, well, I have to, you know, reduce the harm that I'm doing to others from wanting to believe or think the way that I think or have the things that I have. Uh, hold dear to me. Yeah. Yeah, he, he uses the word compassion in mm. the song. Mm -hmm. You know, it's maybe a way to kind of uh, summarize that that idea that, that you can be feeling love, but if its effects are harmful, yeah, you you got to sort of stop and check yourself, you know? Right. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, because there's love and there's responsibility, and they're all entwined together, I think. And irresponsible love maybe mm. shouldn't bear the name of love, you know. It, it, right. Boy, you really, you have a gift for getting to the nub of what your songs are about. And, and it's helping, it helps me with the first song, and you're helping with the second one. Because I'm sitting here listening to this thing and thinking, uh, okay, I, I get what he's asking. I get what he's doing. But why is he so understated? <laughs> this is a really strong message. But this is like, you know, the still small voice that comes in the middle of the night and, and reminds us uh, about the meaning of what we're doing. Um, let's, let's listen to the song. Okay. And then we'll talk about it a little bit more. All right. What's your Indeed. What's the point? Yeah. yeah, it's powerful. So Jose Gonzalez, really interesting figure. I, you know, I will admit that given the context of our show, uh, when Tiana gave me the name of this artist, whom I didn't know beforehand, um, I, I figured it was another Latino artist because of his name. But he, he turns out not to be that at all. Uh, he is of Argentine parentage, but he grew up in Sweden, and he sings primarily in English. So this is one of these really interestingly international situations that happen because of diasporas, because people have to leave places. His parents had to leave Argentina because of the, the dirty war that was happening there in the 70s. And... Um, I, I was surprised to to hear the tone of his music and the language in which it was being sung, sung. And I just I'm, I'm kind of interested on your in your reaction to hearing his music and getting to know it a little bit. To be quite honest, it wouldn't be something that I would call quote unquote, you know, Latin music or Latino music, uh, musically. Yeah, I mean, he's Argentinian, you know, by way of his parents and his, and his heritage, and and that's great. His music, for me, doesn't necessarily speak of anything distinctly Argentinian or what we can call Pan-Latin American, but that's also great. That's fine. You know, I think uh, part of being in and understanding a diaspora is realizing that everyone will not want to express it the way that perhaps we're most comfortable with or even want to see it expressed, right? Um, this is more of a question aimed at what we think a diaspora should look like uh, versus what it actually looks like. And people can still be very much part of that heritage without being overtly connected to it in ways we're used to seeing. Right, without sounding a certain way or speaking a certain language. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we all tend to associate certain identities with, say, a certain kind of name or perhaps a certain skin color. And that may or may not be the case. And you've got to just sit there and actually listen to what a person is doing. Mm-hmm, yeah. 
Yeah, and also just be, I mean, for me, it's one of these instances where, you know, at the end of the day, he's still connected with millions of people across the globe. He's been very successful. Um, and it seems that, you know, just being Argentinian just isn't a part of that, you know, and that's that's okay too. Sometimes people can just be part of the global community and not necessarily have to overtly say, you know, from which part. Right, right. And well, not only does he not quote unquote sound Argentinian, he doesn't at least to my ears, sound Swedish either. He sings in English. I think a lot of those millions of people that he's connecting with are English speakers. I think a lot of them are here in the United States. Uh, it's a really, really interesting example of musical border crossing, I guess, or, or I wouldn't even call it that. It's like musical border erasure. <laughs> like borders really oh, yeah. don't exist with this. It is interesting, but I think for, for me, the more because there's been many musics that have done that, right? I mean, salsa has done that, jazz has done that. Uh, for me, the interesting part here, and especially within the context of our podcast, is that we want him to be Latin, right? Almost. <laughs> we want him, you know, like, oh, you're Argentinian. There should be a bandoneon in here or something. Uh, but that's more, you know, that's where we have to restrain ourselves. We're forcing people to be who we think and want them to be when that just isn't the case. You know, he's he's creating music the way that he wants and it resonates with people. Um, and that's that's cool. It shouldn't really matter what we want him to be. We should just accept him for who he is. Absolutely. I, I think you, you said it really, really well. I mean, yeah, I, I gotta, gotta check those assumptions at the door when you start listening to anyone's music in the end. Or meeting anyone. Uh, yep, that too, mm-hmm. that too. Mm-hmm. The line that says, you know, you've got a heart filled with passion. Are you going to let it burn for hate or compassion? And I think that's the question that we have to, like, filter our, you know, our passions and our motives and everything we're doing. Like, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it, it. There's not a lot of lyrics to this song. There's a lot of repetition. It's kind of the same same thing several times over. And but it just kind of like engraves itself somehow. Yeah. And and you know the music is super repetitive too. So it, the whole thing is just got it's like a bullet. It just it goes boom and has this question that it implants in your heart and kind of almost forces you to ask yourself that question, which is an uncomfortable question. Always, I think, you know. Oh, yeah. Anytime you're asking your question with yourself, where you have to examine yourself and possibly be accountable, it's, those are the questions we're afraid of. And that's why this question is important, because we have to really, it causes us for us to balance ourselves. And, I mean, that's where we are in the world. We need to balance ourselves so that the planet can balance, so that we can live in harmony with this with this planet like that's where we're at and so in so many small ways when you just want to you know you can be passionate but is there any way someone's being harmed by this and which ways can i still be passionate and mindful of of others that might have a different view or perspective and those are the things we need to spend more time on we like if we were living more communally we naturally have more compassion because we're seeing you know people who are different from us but they 
we generally have all of the same, you know, wants and needs and goals in life. We want to, you know, live freely and, you know, have our families or our business or whatever and be able to just enjoy our life. When you're seeing that in someone completely different from you that lives down the street, they have a completely different culture, they have a different, you know, everything, but you have the commonality of being in community with each other and knowing that even though we have all of those differences at the root, we are similar. And that's what allows, once we live like that and we, you know, then it allows us to not feel so far from our decisions and the impact that it has on other, Mm. you know, people and places and things. Yeah. Yeah. This song is really, really on that level all the way through and and I now understand why it is in his his way of singing it is very understated he he doesn't he doesn't really sing out he's almost kind of murmuring mm-hmm. and uh now I think I I kind of get why he's doing that cuz um this is a conversation that we each have to have with ourselves inside of ourselves yeah you know I I really love that your song that you chose for your hopes for the future is a song that goes inward. Uh, That's unusual. I mean, I've done about 20 of these interviews over the last year. And um, a lot of the time, understandably, I think people, you know, when they start thinking about hopes for the future, they kind of think big and, um, and they think outside of themselves, kind of things they want to happen that reach beyond their own lives but and you're doing that too but this song it's like the gateway it's like okay to get those changes we've actually got to go through this gateway which is a narrow gateway and it's very much inside of ourselves and it's it's examining in our own hearts you know like what are you doing <laughs> where where is your love actually taking you and the rest of us right it's really confrontational we always want to be go outward and say this is how things change and this is what needs to happen but we all have probably heard a million times in our lives that we have to be the change so in which (laughs) ways can you you be the change it starts with yourself and looking at who you are and how you can be you know a part of the solution because we all have a million problems and a million gripes about everything going on But without being part of the solution or, uh, you know, bringing forth new ideas that can propel us forward. And that's the real thing is that a lot of us are still so, you know, we're so in our box that we're not even feeling comfortable to say our ideas or put our ideas. There's pretty much a certain group of people whose ideas are supposed to change the world where we Mm. all have the capability to put our minds together and collaborate in community and and really make change. And going inward is the first, because you have to feel that confidence. You have to know who you are and, you know, know that your integrity is right in order to really feel as if you have something to give to the world that's, you know, of value. And, you know, that's how you get there. Yeah, so it kind of loops around. (laughs) <laughs> the way yeah. we're kind of back at where you have to come from in order to get to where you want to go. Right. Uh, I think this song also makes it clear, just kind of the way it sounds, the 
you know, it's, it's got this kind of forward momentum that never, ever, ever stops. To me, it's it's not a real comfortable song. <laughs> it's not a song where I kind of put my feet up and say, oh, that's nice, you know? Uh, and it, it makes it clear that this process, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what I like, like what you said. It does feel like it's, uh, it's going, kind of like a train. And he's just strumming and he's just saying these words and... You're never hearing an answer because you are supposed to be thinking of the answer. And that answer is probably always changing because we're always living through different moments in life where we have to check, you know, our compass. And mm. I feel a lot of us are often we don't have many much time to stop and really make sure our our mentality is right because we're just, you know, rushing through trying to what's my name what's my station just tell me by now you know mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. like <laughs> so we oftentimes don't even have time to check on ourselves and what we believe and what is going on and how that's possibly even you know maybe affecting someone negatively because we don't have time to check in and well i think listening to good music is a way that many of us can sometimes carve out a little bit of that time. At least I, I certainly hope so. Yeah. Um, so in kind of closing our conversation, I, I hope to have many more conversations with you. I have really enjoyed this. Uh, but in, in closing it for now, for, for purposes of, of today's show, um, I want to ask you just... Uh, if, if you feel like sharing with us, what are some of your particular rituals or um, kind of go-tos that you use to generate that space that you just mentioned, where, you know, the space where we can check in with ourselves in an authentic way? How do, you, how do you make that happen in your life these days? Oh, well, like you said, music is a really great space for us to really, I feel like you can listen to music and music can speak to you. When I'm listening to music, I'm listening to what it's saying and what it's like, you know, you hear music and you like it or you'll hear certain things and it's like, well, what, a, what is this song actually saying? Should I be saying these words into the universe for my life? Because sometimes songs are saying, you know, I'll never breathe again if you're not there. And you're like, well, wait, maybe I should breathe again. <laughs> Let me not sing that. But then maybe you're in a space where you're feeling like singing that type of music and you're, and that allows you to feel your feelings and say, I do feel like I'm not going to breathe again because I lost this person, but let me work on my breath and maybe meditate and take some deep breaths and listen to this song and feel my feelings and release that. And I think music is a, a space that's carved out for us to, you know, check in with ourselves. If you are into music and, um, you know, if you relate to music, I think that's that's the way that I do it. And that's just one of the ways. But I think that's a way that everyone probably could. Yeah, it's a kind of thoughtful listening. I mean, there are many, many kinds of listening and not all of them 
are very conscious. But yeah, what you're talking about there, for sure, for sure. And and you know, artists like like this guy Jose Gonzalez are um, well, both the artists uh, you you chose today, they're really really good for that. Oh yeah, um, they're like guides, you know. Yes, indeed, exactly like that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for sharing these songs with us, um, and and for the wonderful wisdom that you just brought to to talking about them. I I really I feel like this has been such a rich conversation. I'm really really inspired by it. Well, thank you for having me here. I have been blessed to even share this space of conversation. I um I welcome it, and yeah, I hope we get to have more conversations because I feel like rich conversation and like actually digging deep into things is is we need to do this more there's so much for for people to share and we you know we have a lot of shallow interactions and it's like no we have the capability now with all of this technology to actually have you know more deep connection and conversation so um i'm excited to to have been here to share Me too. Me too. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tiana. Thank you. Tiana manifests her belief in community and pride as a Santanera through her skills as a cultural promoter and event facilitator. She says, if you're a vendor, artist, would like to host a workshop, or a promoter looking for space, hit up at Retreat Yourself on Instagram. We'll provide the address on our website, and of course, we'll share it as well on our own Instagram platform, at SYF underscore podcast. We're really looking forward to the day, which we're sure will come sooner or later, when our public health situation permits us to enjoy our neighbors' wonderful workshops, events, craft sales, and art shows in person, as well as virtually. Would you like to know more? On our website at ciofuera.org, you can find lyrics to the songs we discuss, our blog about the issues of history, culture, and politics that come up around every song, links for listeners who might want to pursue a theme further, and some very cool imagery. You'll also find playlists of all the songs from all the interviews to date, and our special staff-curated playlist as well. We invite your comments or questions. Contact us at our website or participate in the Si Fuera conversation on social media. We're out there on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And then there's just plain old word of mouth. If you like our show, do please tell your friends and your families to give it a listen. And do please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll bring you a new interview every two weeks on Friday mornings. Julia Alanis, Cynthia Marcel de la Torre, and Wesley McClintock are our sound engineers. Zoe Broussard and Laura Diaz hold down the marketing. David Castaneda is music researcher. Deaneira Garcia and Alex Dolvan make production possible. We are a not-for-profit venture currently and gratefully funded by the John Paul Simon Guggenheim Foundation. For now, and until the next interview, keep listening to one another. I'm Elizabeth Le Guin, and this is Si Yo Fuera Una Canción, If I Were a Song. Si yo fuera una canción, sonarían por las calles. 
Todas las montañas y los valles Mi orgullo y mi pasión ¿Quién soy yo de corazón? Soy una onda, soy una onda Una vibración que ronda por el universo vivo Y sonando soy testigo A nuestra unidad más honda 